We are back, back for another episode of the Letterman Jacket, back during the Sooners' bye week, and back with one Garen Emig for the 14th episode of the Letterman Jacket pod. Current Sooners rocking number 14. Garen, guesses, guesses, any guesses? Um, Hunter Wall. I don't Wall. mean to put you on the spot. No, Hunter, not quite. Hunter Wall? No, one General Booty and <laughs> pass rusher Reggie Grimes. I believe there's a pretty famous 14 in, in Oklahoma football history. At least a few. OU football history? Correct. I'm going to go with, um, gosh, I'm blanking. What? This is sad. Who, who am I forgetting? Oh, oh, Josh Heupel. There's one. Uh, you had like for 10? You. Well, that's a different story. Uh, Sam Bradford. Oh, my God. Is that, see, that I knew <laughs> that, that's just that's just sick. Just a, he was my neighbor, too, for two years in Norman. Well, folks, that's going to conclude this episode of the Letterman Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are here. We're going to talk a bit more OU Texas and Garen's perspective. Watching the game from Stillwater last week, we're going to dive into some more college football playoff talk. And we're going to talk about Brent Venables making the comparison between this year's team and the 2000 Sooners. So you were right there to have Hypo top of mind. Because we are going to get to uh, his most famous team, obviously. But first, a word from some of our sponsors at the Letterman Jacket. Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and Garen. You could not forget our friends at Fire Lake Arena and Fire Lake Golf. Got a bunch of great shows coming up, including still October 28th. It's not too late to get your tickets. ZZ Top's Raw Whiskey Tour at Fire Lake Arena. And again, on the golf course, if you're hitting that fall golf, the weather's good now, nice and breezy, fall foliage, all that, firelakegolf.com. That's the place to do it. Garen, ZZ Top, golf, you trying to get out to Shawnee for anything? I'd rather go see ZZ Top than play golf. Uh, Jesus just left Chicago, Eli. Don't know if you know that. No, it went right over the head. Uh, Eli ZZ Top was a rock group that, would, <laughs> that became a very big deal in the 70s with, um, I think, LaGrange was their big first big hit. Might have been Tush. I can't remember which. They had a, they had a revival in the 80s when MTV caught fire with the Eliminator mm. album. Well, Fuzzy, I... long, pointy beards, shades, three-piece, three-piece band, Eli. Look into it. Well, I told Todd Lisenby, he could, he could uh, with the beard he's got going, he could get into his ZZ Top cover band, I think. He could absolutely pull that off. Yes. I think he could. I don't know if he'd be able to spin the guitar like uh, like they did. But yeah, no, I could see that. We should make that happen, as a matter of fact. I think we let's put that on the list. Well, yep. I'm coming to you today. It's the Sooners bye week from Sellout Crowd's New York office. I got this nice Sellout Crowd mug and am reporting from across the country. Look at you. Uh, so we're coming to you from Tulsa, from New York. And we're talking Sooners, you know, we're, we're still only four or five days removed. It feels like so much longer from OU's rollicking win at the Cotton Bowl, taking down Texas, shooting themselves up the, the AP poll and really changing the trajectory on this season as where it stands six games in. You were in Stillwater for this game. We didn't, we're, we're not lucky enough to have your presence with us at the Cotton Bowl, but you kind of had an interesting perspective. You wrote an interesting column of watching that game from Stillwater. What was that like? What were you hearing from presumably a lot of OSU fans right. watching that game? Is What you'd assume are neutrals, you found out uh, that OSU fans have a lot of conflicting feelings about Red River. Yeah, no, I, I covered the OSU-K State game the night before. 
wanted a free meal, a hot meal. And so I, I crashed at my parents that night. It's the only reason. And then since I was already there Saturday and the OU Texas game kicked at 11, I thought, well, why not spend a, a little while bopping around town, going to some of the bars and grills, looking for, I only looked for people who were in OSU colors because that was sort of the dead giveaway that they were OSU fans and, and just wanted to get a gauge of how they felt about the game. And the result was uh, something that we posted to selloutcrowd.com on Sunday. It was interesting. Um, wasn't as sour as I thought I'd expect. You know, the, the stereotype is that OSU fans would just assume, you know, the ground swallow the Sooners up and never spit them back out because they're, they're still pissed at them for going to the SEC and leaving Bedlam to die. And uh, there were a couple of, I, you know, as one as one woman put it, my daddy raised me to to cheer for OSU and whoever's playing OU. And I, I heard some of that, but it was also uh, sort of sad for the conference to see him go. Doesn't exactly help prop up the Big 12 moving forward. Would be cool if they came to Bedlam in Stillwater. That game is at OSU in November on, on as high as they could be, just in case we knock them off, that kind of thing. Um, and also heard some sort of anti-Texas talk. Actually, I had one guy say that he, he would root for OU against Alabama. He, he just didn't want to talk about Nick Saban. He could care less about Brent Venables. He just, I he wanted just wanted to ask you. He wanted to dump on Saban for an hour. I wanted so, to ask you about the guy who hates Nick Saban so much he'd root for the Sooners, the OSU fan who feels that strongly about the Crimson Tide. It, it dates back to 2011 because I asked, I said, what, what gives? Is it, is it, is it be, the way he is, the way his team dominates or, or did dominate? And, and he reminded me that it was, it was Alabama that took OSU's spot in the 2011 National Championship game when Gundy's Big 12 champs had lost just once at Iowa State um, and that just blew OU out of, out of Boone Pickens. I think it was Boone Pickens at the time. It might have still been Lewis Field. I think it was Boone Pickens. Blue OU off the field that night was was clearly playing better than Alabama at the end of the season, but it was it was an Alabama LSU re- rematch for the title that year. And the Cowboys settled for beating Andrew Luck, Stanford Cardinal to Fiesta Bowl. So he was still bitter about the way Saban conducted his bidness in terms of politicking or or barnstorming but, to make sure the tide got in that game. It was the BCS though, no, that that determined all that. Well, he still thinks it's Saban's fault. Yes, it, it's Nate. his finger on the computer. Nate, Saban is hardwired. We know that, right? So he, he might as well be computer. <laughs> so I, I got it. I understood. I understood. I did. So as I understand it, you watched the first half of this game, bar hopping around Stillwater. Yes. You made it home for the second half to watch with, with your folks. What did you see in that second half that, that really impressed you? Was it the, that, that stuck with you into this week? Was it? The defensive line, the, the goal line stand, was yeah. it Dylan Gabriel's drive? Was it what you heard and saw from Brent Venables after? All of the above, Eli, honestly. Um, I, we talked a lot the week before on, the, on your show about the need for Gabriel to play his best game. I don't, I don't know that he did that until he had to do that, right? The, the drive that won the game. That, that's, that's when he needed to rise up and sort of meet the moment, and he, he did that. And that's, that's when it counted. The the thing that I was most encouraged by of coming away just as as a guy who who's trying to get a sense of just how high the ceiling is for this team, whether in regard to Texas or or playoff or whatever, I I, I, I all I it feels like every week I I land on on line of scrimmage right, and I thought in particular that the push that the defensive line got against Texas blockers up front was more than I anticipated it would get. They I think. 
sacked Ewers five times. Does that sound five right? Five sacks, yep. And all but Canucks were defensive lineman plays. I'm pretty sure about that, too. So you had Downs, you had Terry, you had Lacey, mm-hmm. you had Bothroyd. He didn't sack Ewers, but I think, didn't he, I think he made a TFL, right, for a loss of two yep. or three. Yep. So those are a bunch of different defensive linemen making a huge difference in a game that I wasn't sure they were ready to make a difference in. That's what I was most encouraged by, I think, in general. Well, and you flip the side of the field. That goal line stand was at the same end zone that right. Towie Walker punched into. So right. OU got in from a yard out exactly. with its walk-on running back that half the fan base doesn't think is the top running back in that backfield. Maybe the other half or another sliver thinks it is. I, I'm not in the fan base, but I consider myself in the Towie Walker camp. Been on that been on that train for a little while now. But the fact is, when the Sooners needed to punch in from the goal line, they got that score. Mm-hmm. Texas ran Jonathan Brooks into the line four times. Some really big tackles uh, on that series. You had Kip Lewis on first down. You had yeah. a couple of guys. Desan McCullough was in on a few plays. Yeah. They made their plays. And then that screen pass to Xavier Worthy, which, uh, you know, stood out. It was, I don't, I'm never too, too much against the, uh, the screen pass outside the end zone on the goal line. However, when you get wrapped up like that, it, it kind of blows up in your face. I told mm-hmm. Todd this on the pod the other day. Striking to me that Quinn Ewers didn't get one carry just up the middle. Just yeah. try to push your guy yeah. um, up and, and see what you could do. Point is, OU stood up up front against a team that all week, we, we said it, you heard it if you're listening to national shows, that everyone felt like this was a, a Texas offensive and defensive line that looked like it belonged in the SEC, mm-hmm. and that they were a year ahead. And OU, particularly when it mattered, but really throughout the course of the game, as you point out with the sacks, came up and came up big. And that was the biggest surprise to me. I think we knew that this offense could move the ball when it needed to. Right. We hadn't seen them do it in that moment yet, like Dylan Gabriel did. But that defensive line mm-hmm. that we've kind of, I think we've spoken like kindly of, but said, you know, they're unspectacular. They're, they're there just to kind of prop up the rest of the back of the defense. Yeah. On Saturday at times, it was all them. And, and that was something new that we really hadn't seen yet. No. Yeah. Do you hear what Sark said, by the way, about the, the goal line series? That was interesting. Not, wasn't not about said- toughness. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, and he, and he also said that if he could change one thing, he would have called the pass on third down. I thought that was interesting. And, I, and now that you think about it, yeah, maybe. Maybe throw Makes something different in before fourth. Right, right. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting moment of, of you know, retrospection by, by Sarkeesian. I don't think he – I don't know what the Texas fan base is doing this week besides obsessing over uh, the turnovers and uh, – and I know that they're up there howling about a call that wasn't made on, on that pass, right? Worthy that there was, was that the face mask that they thought there might have been, or there was some, or was it another face mask that they're all hot, hot about? You know what? Um, I haven't been keeping up with the message boards this week over yeah. in Austin. You haven't been on um, Orange Bloods? Yep. No, I haven't. <laughs> For a change? You know, um, most weeks I'm there. Yeah, no. Um, no, it's just, you it, it, have to, have to, I won't say half the fun, that's not the right word, but half the intrigue coming out of a game that big is to sort of get a sense of how the other side's taking it and what the other side's writing about. Like, if you and Jenny and Barry, who staffed the game for sellout, had been Texas writers, you know, think of the hundred different ways you could have put a put a sort of a sad face on, on the afternoon. I mean, it wasn't just, as it turns out, you guys had to write, you wrote, this is kind of cool from your standpoint, all of a sudden about playoff potential and Heisman potential. Yep. And boy, this team arrived a little faster than we thought that all that, the, the stand, the drive, one thing after another, if you're uh, our friend, Cedric Golden, Kirk Bowles, Danny Davis, um, Mike Finger, 
you're thinking is turnovers. The 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 what 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 could you have done different on the goal line, Sark? Uh, why uh, couldn't you protect better against what seemed to be a pretty uh, you know a good but not great defensive line and pass rush? So the psychology is always fascinating, is what I'm saying when it comes to this game. Probably also wondering about Quinn Ewers, who yeah, you know, I had had it described to me last week as some days he looks like a top five quarterback, yeah, or, you know, top five overall pick. Other days he looks like he should be benched. He probably yeah. looked like neither of those two quarterbacks against Oklahoma, but in a game we went into, you said it last week, Quinn Ewers could could play well, you know, to his level and be just fine. Dylan Gabriel had to be spectacular. The fact is, neither quarterback really was until yeah. one of them was called upon and Dylan Gabriel stepped up. But Quinn Ewers, that uh, there's there are a lot more questions with the Longhorns than we had uh, this mm-hmm. time last week. And the fact is, they can still you know, control some of their own destiny in terms of the playoffs, in terms yep. of the Big 12 title race. But they, you know, this whole Texas is back thing, the whole Texas has its best team since, you know, 2009 or even before then, all that got kind of tripped up mm-hmm. by what, what Oklahoma did. Last week, we talked about Brent Venables and how he kind of was approaching this game, mm-hmm. what we saw from him in, in the lead up, how he was carrying himself. And then all he did was go out and get the biggest win of his head coaching career, the win that really rectifies 49 nothing from a year ago in the win that now, as you said, well ahead of schedule, has the Sooners talking playoff, being talked about nationally among the, the top programs in the nation, a defense he has compared to the 2000 National Championship defense. All of that, for Brent Venables, if you can take this 10,000 feet, and obviously <laughs> we got a long way to go this season, Yeah, but if you can cut it right here, what does this win do for him? What did you see from him in a win like this? I don't know. Eli, I was trying to think if there's ever been a coach who has gone from one extreme to the other back-to-back seasons. You might put that you, – you, I'm thinking Oklahoma, but, I mean, how many times anywhere has – well, I can – of course, I'm just answering my own question. Dave Aranda at Baylor did it, right, just a few – just a couple of years ago from the depths of – the depths of where the Bears were to winning the Big 12 title over over OSU, right? Just a couple of years ago, so it, it's been done. But just to, just just drill down on the Texas game and go from just being utterly humiliated, not competitive, uh, with problems being what they were that day, with at, starting at quarterback and then trickling down to other things. It didn't matter the fact the score was 49 nothing. Texas didn't even try in the fourth quarter. Ewers only played okay, and they still they still won by forty nine points. To go from that in in one year to what Oklahoma did Saturday, I and again a lot of people are going to land on Gabriel because of of just his physical presence, something that could not happen a year ago. Others might go to the to defensive personnel. The changes on the line we've already talked about the play of Stutzman and Canick and McCullough, right at, at linebacker. But it, it really, this really belongs to Venables. This moment belongs to Brent Venables. And we, we, we sort of hinted at that last week on, on, the, on the jacket. And now coming out of what happened Saturday, there, there can be no question. To me, and this was kind of the lead to my story, and I asked Brent about it on Saturday. I, I watched him through my binoculars on the final play, the Quinn Ewers Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. And he looked every bit of the K-State linebacker who would have loved to have been out there to knock down that pass <laughs> on that play. Yeah, you could, you know, he's he wants it's all in there, but all he can do is stand there with his hands on his knees and watch. I mean, he told us the other night that he was upset about, you know, one of the misses they had that, that allowed viewers to get free to make the throw. But not even 60 seconds later, there's Brent Venables at midfield 
hoisting that trophy above his yeah. head. He's got Danny Stutzman right next to him. He hugs Drake Stoops, and Isaiah Coe is waving that big OU flag before he plants it at midfield. Mm-hmm. Consider where they were. I mean, this mm-hmm. was 364 days removed from the 49-0 loss. What a turnaround there. Mm-hmm. And it almost – now the, the expectations are ratcheted up to where we're going to talk about the playoff. We're going to talk about not just a Big 12 title game appearance, but favorites and all that. But just think about that turnaround, where they've made it in a year – what that says about the direction mm-hmm. this program's moving is they recruit well off the field as everything else seems to be getting going. Far and away the biggest win, obviously, of his head coaching career, but but just a signal, I think, and the biggest signal yet of of where Brent Venables has this program going. And mm-hmm. he needed that. Uh, and it was it struck me, it's my second full season on the beat, struck me that I hadn't been in a lot of happy post games after big OU wins. That's right. Because last fall was one after another in terms of uh, these these disappointing finishes and, and six and seven and all that. And just seeing him up there sitting between, uh, I think he had Stutzman on his right, Jaleel Farouk on his left, and uh, getting to just bask a little bit mm-hmm. in, in his first big day as an mm-hmm. OU head football coach. It was big. You wrote something uh, – as we all kind of forecast that this game, this might've just been round one that we may indeed be headed for a big 12 title game rematch. You identified some things that the Sooners are going to have to do better because they didn't play their very best game. They played uh, exceptionally. It was inspired, but it was not perfect. Mm -hmm. What were some of those things you identified that if we're talking about these teams playing in Arlington on December 2nd, they're going to need to shape up. Right. I I would start with, I think I led with special teams, but let's start with Gabriel and, this this felt almost unfair to do because of just how heroic he was on the final drive and how he he essentially cemented his legend, at least as OU Texas legend, right in those you know one minute and two seconds. But Eli he he did not play to the level I thought he needed to play until that drive, and um, he and I pinpointed three passes in particular that had he completed might have made things a little easier on not just the offense but but the Sooners in terms of getting the you know getting out of there without having to to rally like that and it just hold their breath. Uh, there was the ball to Walker that he had for a touchdown right before the half that he underthrew in the flat. So a pass I assume he completes, you know, 49 times out of 50 did not complete that one. There was the fourth and one pass to a wide open Drake Stoops at the marker that he threw to the wrong side of Stoops with the Sooners leading by seven, but you could sort of feel momentum shifting, right? Midway through the fourth quarter, sure enough, Texas gets the ball back, goes down, um, ties the game. And then after they do tie the game, he has Austin Stogner open at the marker on third and six and misses him because he he rushed the throw. Um, Texas takes over, goes and kicks what appeared to be at the time a game-winning field goal. If Gabriel plays like he did in that final drive in the rematch, they're going to be great. If Gabriel misses those throws and can't answer the, the bell like he did, or, is it, or isn't given a chance to answer the bell because Ewers doesn't have three turnovers again, which I'm probably, I'm assuming he won't in the rematch, then that's, that's the quarterback that OU needs to show up at Arlington. Uh, defense, again, goal line stand was the stuff that people write about for years. The tackling and the assignment, discipline, soundness, whatever you want to call it, overall was really good, but they still missed they've still missed Jonathan Brooks a couple times too many. They still busted obviously on the uh the fourth down touchdown to Helm, the tight end, 22 yards right where he's 10 yards behind anybody. 
Venables himself said Monday night to you guys that uh, that especially on defense, that's, you know, he's a defensive coach, so he's going to land on defense when it comes to, to things that have got to be corrected in general, not just in case there's a rematch, but in general. And then, of course, special teams was was more or less a disaster between the, the poor punting, the block punt, the illegal forward pitch on the kickoff reverse, Schmidt missing the field goal, a makeable one, the win, win being what it was. The, the fake punt that Texas converted into a 20-yard first down where they had to have something after OU jumped on them early. Uh, Eli, OU is 99th in special teams efficiency, according to ESPN's power index. I don't think they'd better – it'd be a good idea not to be 99th going into the rematch, is, is how I'd put it. That's for sure. I don't think the wind was the issue on Sachman's kick. It wasn't that windy at the Cotton Bowl. It might no, have been a nice breeze. Right, it wasn't right. that windy. Um, and I, I've actually, I think he's been better than, than some believe he's been, but, uh, not, not there. You're exactly right. The, the special teams is a, is a place. Um, I mean, ask Nick Saban or ask Bill Belichick or ask mm-hmm. most any coach across the country. Brent Venables believes in special teams, um, perhaps more so than his predecessor. Uh, they're going to need to, if you want to talk, we're, we're about to jump into the playoff stuff. Yeah. Right. We're going to start comparing Oklahoma with the top programs in the country and winning big games. Special teams are where you're you throw those away. We talk so much about, um, you know, the, the field position game and all that, uh, that they, that they won that game and did it having given up points on special teams, both on, on the block punt and the missed field goal. Uh, some of the miscues maybe only speaks to just how miraculous it was, but if they see each other again, they're going to have to be cleaner on special teams. Before we get into playoff stuff, just a quick injury update with the Sooners. We didn't get this in on uh, Monday's pod because we hadn't been out of practice yet, but Brent Venables gave the update on Andrew Anthony. That was that was the bad news. It's a bit of a mixed bag overall, but the bad news was Andrew Anthony going to miss the rest of the season, having season-ending surgery. It looked like a right leg injury. We didn't get anything specific from Brent, but if you're watching that on Saturday, looked like his right leg. He was emotional coming out of the medical tent. Looked fine coming off the field at the end of the game. There's a great photo of him flashing the horns down, but um, the fact is, OU now without easily its best deep threat, uh, a guy that they'd gone to early and often this year, leads the, uh, the team in receiving yards. And if you really get into it, of all the guys they've targeted 15 or more times, no one is catching the ball more often than Andrew Anthony. So that's a big hit. They've got the depth. I think you'd look at, at Jaden Gibson, at Brennan Thompson, uh, certainly Nick Anderson's I, I don't even really consider him a part of the depth now. He's just one of the guys. Uh, but they're going to need to find some production at wide receiver. Good news on the offensive line, McCabe Matoyer. That was the injury Saturday that looked at first glance like the one that was going to be uh, a big issue because he went down really quick. Tyler Guyton immediately gestured to the to the medical staff. And, and when you're watching a bunch of offensive linemen on one knee looking kind of shell-shocked, around an injury and you see a guy get carted off, you're thinking, well, that's the last we're going to have seen of him. Good news there, according to Brent Venables, best case scenario, it's a, an ankle sprain. Don't know if he'll be back uh, for, for UCF. We'll see. There's no timetable, but very good news that McCabe Matoyer sounds like sooner rather than later on his status. We talk about that offensive front. He's a big part of it. Uh, and so the Sooners, a bit of a mixed bag of bye week injury news. But good news on the line, really disappointing for Andrew Anthony, a guy who came to Oklahoma from Michigan and really found a home in this offense. And we've chronicled that plenty at sellout, plenty on this podcast. Uh, He's got plenty of eligibility in front of him. 
so should be back. But um, that's one home run hitter. The Sooners are now without as they chase college football playoff contention. Right, Garen? This time you last week, it. we wouldn't you have been. You've written it, so it must be true. Right. Well, that's <laughs> right. Because everything I write is, well, it's supposed to be. I hope uh, so. Well, I did write about the Danny Stutzman, Jaron Canick tattoo saga, and we still don't know the truth, or some of us might, but uh, there's still some some questions there of, of, is it real? Is it not? What is real is the fact that the Sooners are in the college football playoff hunt, right? This game, we said it last week, the winner of this game was going to find themselves uh, in this conversation. I think a lot of people expected it to be Texas, and they were already there. Mm-hmm. The fact is, Sooners walk away with probably the best win in the country of any team. And they're fifth in the AP poll. We know the AP poll only carries so much weight, but we're only a couple weeks away from spending our Tuesday nights watching that ESPN college football playoff ranking show. Those rankings do matter. And I think when it shows up, the Sooners are going to be there in that conversation. Yeah, no, they're going to be there, Eli, right up until the Big 12 championship game. And that's why it's never too early to write about the rematch. Because that's what this is going to come down to, man. I mean, we... I, I get every week between now and that Big 12 title game, assuming the Sooners win the games are favored to win, right, and run the table in, in a league that just doesn't rise up like it like it has in the past, you know, three through six, and, you know, can punch you. If the Sooners punch like they should, they're going to be unbeaten. Going to Jerry World, assuming that Texas is waiting for them there, that's really what this is going to come down to. If, if, they, if they run, run, run the table – and finish 13-0. and um, We'll see if there's unbeatens in the other powers, power four, I guess, in this case. But I, I'd sort of like your chances if you're Venables to get in. You lose that game against Texas. That's the one you can't lose, right? If, if, you, if you're a playoff hopeful and you're going to get one mulligan, you better, you better take it in October, not December. So what Oklahoma did by beating the Longhorn Saturday is set themselves up for, we want to get past the big stage to the biggest, we got to win. We got to beat them again. It's that simple. It is. And, and the fact is, you're, you're right. This conference is not where it's been in the past. It's not going to be an easy next month and a half for Oklahoma because they have to go play six football games, and those aren't easy. They'll go on the road. We've seen plenty of times teams, you know, sink down to, to the level of, of the opponents they're playing, whether it'll be, uh, you know, Bedlam and all that's going to carry in Stillwater. Right. Uh, you don't you don't seem to have a lot of faith in your plucky Jayhawks, but they've got to go to Lawrence. <laughs> uh, they got to go to BYU, host West Virginia, host uh, TCU on Black Friday. There's you know there's places to stub your toe in there, but there is not a game on that. They're going to be favored run. in all those games. Yeah, they'll yes. be fa- they'll probably be favored in every game they play from here on out. We could debate uh, you know that Texas uh, title game if you right. want. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how they play these next six weeks, these two teams. The fact is, every regular season game they play, they're going to be favored. I'd wager by double digits in a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. If they take care of their business and do what they're supposed to do in these games, they'll be heading to Arlington 12-0 and in a win away. And, and there is a real difference. You know, it, if they lost, well, maybe different for them, but Texas gets to lose this game in October. Mm-hmm. And if they run the table and then go win in Arlington, they're probably in pretty good shape. Could OU afford to lose that game? 
I don't know. Those are all the scenarios. You're shaking your head, and I think you're right. I there's, think you're right. There's no we, way. There's no way they're getting in the playoff if they lose the rematch. Come on, two Big 12 teams in the final <laughs> year of OU Texas in the Big 12? That'd be your mark stream. You were asking. Here's the thing. There is a way. Actually, there is a way, but the losses had better start happening now and other Correct. Leagues. That's actually There's well, way right. too many top-heavy undefeateds left in the other power, power leagues at midseason for OU to, to afford a loss. I think you're right. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to like looking around the country because there's the, the race in the Big 12 that I think we know how it's going to end, at least leading to Arlington on the mm-hmm. first Saturday of December. But you look around, I, I kind of scribbled down who I think the, the contenders are from the other conferences. And if, uh, if anyone feels snubbed here, Oregon State, they can write a letter. Um, but, you know, in the Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, USC, mm-hmm. well, those schools, they, they play each other. Well, they cannibalize each other. Georgia and Alabama. It seems like Alabama's kind of getting it together. Still not spectacular. Georgia sent a bit of a message in what it did with, with Kentucky. Big 10, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. I don't know how you, there's, I think, varying levels of convincing from each of them. And then the ACC, Florida State really leads the way. UNC, maybe with an outside uh, shot. They're still unbeaten. But that, that's kind of the, the crew right there. And we've still got such a long way to go. Why do you We're hate still- Louisville? Uh, they're the other Scott Satterfield or no, not so oh boy. Jeff Brom, write me a letter. You do hate Louisville. You don't even know who the coach is. Golly, man. What did Papa John so do much to Eli Letterman? What's the story? Well, the pizzas. I am in New York. I did get to, I went to, I ran to Sal's for lunch today, my local joint. And uh, it, if any resentfulness toward Papa John was going to come out, it would have been after that meal. You're right. No, the, hey, they were. It was them in Oregon State who I had as feeling bad for leaving out. I really actually like Oregon State, Louisville. I can take it or leave it. But point is, those schools <laughs> plus Oregon State plus Louisville uh, are the schools you've got to, yeah. to think about. I think if, right. if you're an OU fan, you're starting to look across the country, and you shouldn't be watching these games hoping teams lose just because you're assuming OU is going to like have a loss and need some help. But the point is that's. That's who OU is fighting against nationally now in, in building a resume. The easiest way to do that, go 13-0, be unbeaten. I think if, if they're a 13-0 conference champion, which is inherent in being 13-0 for them, you're in. I don't see a world yeah. where they win this conference, uh, where, where one of these schools, I think the Pac-12 will beat up on itself. Uh, I think Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, there's, there's chances there uh, for, for some losses to get picked up. Point is... Mm-hmm. simplest way for Oklahoma to do this and to, to feel comfortable whenever that selection show is to be unbeaten when they get there. Can they do it? Can they get through the regular season unbeaten? I think so. And then you're, you're talking about a Texas game, a rematch, beating a team twice in the same season, everything there. I think we'll talk enough about that game when yeah. we get there, won't we? Uh, but yeah. that's what's in front of the Sooners. Yeah. Well, you use the word cannibalize with regard to the pack. And I think uh, referencing Washington, Oregon, USC, Oregon, Washington play this weekend in Seattle. So there's yep. there's one unbeaten that's going to lose by you know just by process of elimination. But there is a world, uh, Eli, where you get like a, we'll just I'll just pick one out of each league where unbeaten uh, Washington, unbeaten Michigan, unbeaten Georgia, and unbeaten Florida State puts their resume up against unbeaten Oklahoma, and then you then it gets dicey to be honest, because Oklahoma does not have a September win on their on their resume that makes you go, hmm, this has been a sort of long time coming uh, thing for, for Venables. They, they weren't ranked in the top 10 in September because they weren't as highly regarded coming in. They didn't play anybody. 
in the non-conference comparatively. And then the Big 12 is not going to do them any favors at all, even if they beat Texas twice. It just so that's the to me that uh, that's a more realistic doomsday than uh, losing the rematch, assuming that it is a rematch at Jerry World. There's just no there's just no way. There's no path forward if you lose that game. And unless, again, the losses really pile up for all the team, all the schools we've just mentioned. So there actually is a, a, if we're comparing resumes going into championship weekend, it's unbeaten resumes, not one loss resumes is how I, I think that's probably yeah. land this. And I think the, the counterpoint there would be who did Michigan play in September? Who did Georgia play in September? Oklahoma and Georgia were supposed to play each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there will be all that nitpicking that we'll do right. over the next two months. So we'll, we'll close here on, on the playoff discussion for whatever these are worth. The Action Network uh, this morning came out with their percentage chance of, of teams finishing 12-0. and 0. Mm-hmm. Louisville, Louisville even made the list. How about that? Impressive. There's gonna, uh, sounds, sounds like Eli's going to write somebody a letter of protest is what that sounds like. <laughs> doing <laughs> in anyone's in anyone's ballpark playoff ballpark well i guess they're still unbeaten so i guess we got to keep them in the conversation the point is the sooners <laughs> from that group by whatever metrics these are 87 percent chance of finishing 12 and 0 second best uh among the unbeatens they've got here behind only georgia okay. uh list kansas is the toughest game behind them florida state penn state michigan ohio state air force now that's one could they be in the playoff conversation? God, that would be careful, fun. Garen. Do you want to say be, anything? How fun it would, would be? That very be? Fun. No, oh, be man. Yeah. it's far fetched. I I was trying to I was trying to deflect some of the uh, Louisville ire by maybe having you say something negative about one of our fine military what? academies, but you, you sidestepped that well. That would be worse. What if I told you that OU's toughest Big Twelve road game was going to be in Provo, not Stillwater, I, not Lawrence, but Provo. I think that's reasonable. I, th- I think if Jalen Daniels is playing and we're talking I think, about, I don't think and, and so I, I think that decides that I do think the hardest part of the schedule is almost independent of the teams. It's that trip to Provo uh, for what we think is going to be a night game on November 18th mm-hmm. and then turning around to play TCU six days later on black Friday, you know, for all we're talking about thinking big with the Sooners, this could all unravel on, I know. Some silliness, yeah. You know, special teams being a question. One of these games comes down to a couple of kicks. You're at least throwing some chance to the wind. There's a lot of big things to think about, but there's, as I said, you can stub your toe in Lawrence. You can stub your toe in Stillwater. You can stub your toe in Provo. So the Sooners still have plenty of work in front of them. A lot of work in front of them. Mm-hmm. But where they are now speaks a lot about yep. you know the, the project here but where they're going and the position they put themselves in as they rest up on this bye week. The last topic I want to hit on with you, Brent Venables, he was asked, does this team remind you of anybody on Saturday? <laughs> and he was very quick, very quick to say that yeah. 2000 Sooners, that's a team that carries a lot of weight around here. Last time OU brought home a national championship. I think you can find the parallels if you want to. Mm-hmm. Is there a lefty quarterback on that national title team in 2000? Indeed, there was. I think you're right. Uh, did they Not did that say. defense? Was it pretty gritty? Did it make timely defensive stops? Mm-hmm. Did they kind of come out of nowhere that year? I don't think they were expected to be anything, were they? Two thousand six. No, that is a negative. And uh, shoot, that was Stoops' second season. 
How many years has Brent Bennett won? Two years. Second year head coach. Someone should write the. Someone should write about this. Did you look at my budget line for the it's week? I'm gonna have something it's called a tease. That's a tease right there. By the time maybe you're listening to this, I will have a story out. Uh, <laughs> talking to a couple former Sooners and and going back. Yeah. And seeing what the real parallels are here. But the fact is, Brent Venables, kind of unprompted, wasn't any of us saying, hey, let's look at OU at 6-0 and and compare them to a national title team. Mm-hmm. It was Brent, you know, he said that was, uh, he, he called them a bunch of misfits in 2000. Yeah. Um, and a team that didn't know how good it could be. Right. Until it was. That's two things you would, you'd point to this OU team. Yeah. You could even say this OU team is maybe even better upholstered in terms of the misfit uh, mm-hmm. characterization. But the fact is, this to this point is a team that I think is still finding out just yeah. how good it can be. And, and Brent felt comfortable at least to enough to make that comparison for yourself. Do you see the parallels? Do you see I similarities? Do. Yeah. And I think Venables went there as much uh, for vibe as, as anything, right. He sort of establishing something in the, in the heads of his guys. Cause it's, it's okay to dig into the heads of 18 to 22 year olds now and then and plant a seed. So I, I fully get it. And you're right. There are parallels, uh, worth writing, reading, talking about, right? Podcasting about. I'll say this, and then we'll pick it up moving forward. Uh, I, I remember that 2000 season pretty well. I, I was covering home games at the time. I was sort of a half-beat writer for the transcript before diving in full, you know, full go the next season. Josh Heupel was damaged goods the last month or so of that year. Was not the same quarterback. Who's to say how Dylan Gabriel's arm will be, shoulder will be in, in November? Hopefully, it's a little healthier and firmer and gives so you a you know more r- rounded shot, fair shot at this. But Quentin Griffin did as much for that team down the stretch offensively as Josh Heupel. And now we're landing back on an old sore spot, aren't we? Who who is that guy for this team? If if the pass game isn't working. If the weather in Provo stinks, if uh, if they don't find someone to replace Anthony as easily as we think they, they can, what do you do, right? I, I don't think they're going to need – I don't think Gabriel's giving them 100-yard games from here on out on the ground like he, like he just gave in Dallas. So is it Walker? Is it Major? Is it Sawchuck? Javante Barnes reemerge. He's still around, isn't he? Javante Barnes. He's still around. We haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. Yeah, still got that lingering foot issue. So I'm, I'm just wondering. Uh, I think the question until now was who's going to be Eric Gray, the thousand yard guy from a year ago. Well, if we're if we're thinking really, really big for this team, and we're we're comparing it to a certain national champion, who's Quentin Griffin on this team? Something, just something to ask yourself as as you come down from the high of Saturday. The listeners, Man. not you, the listeners. You just pulled that right back down to earth. I was feeling excited. I still think, then... I still think it's worth writing the story just in no, case. No, you, you hear that? Time. That's the, uh, the air coming out of the balloon, folks. Courtesy of Gary Nemec. <laughs> just trying to make just trying to make it an easier week for you, buddy. <laughs> well You'll you'll write it. it. You'll write it well. I'll write it just fine. Yeah. And then I'll have to put a disclaimer in about running game. Um <laughs> we're gonna end within uh, another edition, of course. Garen or Gare out. We'll start with some some national storylines from last weekend. Garen, if you were a head coach and your team was up three points, about thirty three seconds left, would you be Gare in or, or Gare out on taking a knee? Is your ego comfortable enough? Are you secure enough to take a knee? Because mm-hmm. I like Garen my job. Because I like my yeah. job, and I like the salary that I get with that job. 
I don't I don't know what Mario Cristobal pulls in at Miami. I assume it's something, you know, it's it's got seven decibel seven numbers in it though, right? Mm-hmm. I kinda like that. So I don't it, I know coaches are egotists by nature, but I also like that paycheck. So I, I think I'm taking a knee. I'm Garen on the knee. How speaking of what coaches get paid, Mark Stoops this week on his radio show uh got a call in basically asking him right. when he's gonna be Georgia yeah. and he said, Well, when are we gonna kick up the, the NIL game? Mm-hmm. Gear in or gear out on college football coaches, this one in particular making eight point five million dollars a year mm-hmm. asking fans uh for, for money. Well, it's it's gear out, and it's not just because of Mark Stoops' salary at Kentucky. It's that if we're not over the people are buying players narrative now, then what are you, what are you waiting for? I mean, Mike Gundy said it himself Monday in his press conference in Stillwater. This has become the NFL, and he's not wrong. <laughs> people are being paid to play college football. It's breaking news, I know. So the the step up your game in terms of collectives, the, this coach X is buying player Y. No, no, no bleep. (laughs) This is where we are. So gear out on anything that came out of Stoops mouth in the aftermath of losing badly to Georgia. I don't know if you caught this last night, but Lincoln Riley, again, kind of forced to defend his his defense and in turn his defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Gear in and, and gear out on the continued and impassioned <laughs> defense of, of Alex Grinch from Lincoln Riley. Well, gear in on Lincoln Riley doing something about it before it bites him in the blank. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't gleefully tune into USC football to watch Alex Grinch's defense fail like all the listeners do. <laughs> I assume that the listeners to this pod are are, are doing that for that reason. But um, if, if Riley likes his job and likes winning championships. Like he he won a couple conference champ titles at OU, then might look into uh, might look into changing his tune on Alex Grinch. I'd say I'm I'm Letterman on uh, on defending your guy, right? Like I don't I get it if, if Lincoln Riley well, really believes. I'm, I'm, I know. He, uh, hold on, hold on. If he believes this is his guy, I get it, and I, I appreciate you know him standing up for his guy. I'm Letterman. Let her out would be it. Reverse the game on myself on Alex Grinch being the guy. And it's yeah. kind of like, what do you, if you're, uh, you know, tethering yourself to an anchor, yeah. then I'm out on that. And I think, I don't know, a lot of folks certainly feel that way. Watching that defense feels that way. I, I, I'm all for loyalty. And, and, and again, sticking with the dudes in your bunker and Riley didn't just bring Grinch with him to USC uh, because, you know, it was a free ticket and that, that kind of thing. I, I understand that, but there comes a point in no return where if you're asked about it, you you got to answer with you don't want to go into detail that's fine but Lincoln's got to come with yeah it's got to be better because everyone in the world can see that it's got to be better so just go there instead of trying to turn it back on its on its on its head and say you're just not seeing it like you should which just seems to be his attitude about it it's the media's fault that they gave up forty one points to Arizona media fans or just anybody with a pulse who can see what's obvious to the world that's all Dylan Gabriel's Heisman candidacy. Mm-hmm. You think that that stays over the next six weeks? Are you Garen or Gare out on that? No, that's Garen. Mm-hmm. Did you catch Danny Stutzman's pregame speech that, that came out last yes. night? Part of the, the video OU released. I think it was something like Oklahoma only fears God, Texas fears Oklahoma. You Garen mm-hmm. or, or Gare out there? For originality, Garen all the way. That was at least something, not something we've heard before. 
That's all I got for you. Okay. I thought I had a longer list, but that's Gary and Gary out for this week. It's a bye week. Come on. Cut us some slack. Go back to you gotta go back to Sal's. <sighs> I would Garen, what I would do. I got chills today when I bit into my first slice. I'm not kidding. No. It's fabulous. I hope you're enjoying walked in, there. Walked in. They were rude to me. It was great, just like any good New York pizza joint <laughs> should be. I haven't been back in so long. They don't recognize me anymore, which hurts. Uh, but walked in, placed my order, threw the cash on the mm-hmm. counter, and six fifty for for a slice or two of heaven. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd put it. Pizza talk. That's for another podcast. That could yes, be another podcast. You, me, and Todd will talk pizza. I would but love it. if you if you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet. Hit the Letterman jacket, hit subscribe, follow, review, all those things. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, selloutcrowd.com, where you can find all our stuff. You'll find uh, my detailed breakdown and a sellout crowd investigation into Danny Stutzman and Jaron Canick's tattoo fiasco that I don't know that is, is finished. I think there's more meat on that bone. Uh, you'll find me writing about Brent Venables' comparison between this team and the 2000 Sooners. And Garen, what can folks find you writing about this week? Uh, the three things OU's got to do better when the rematch comes in December at Jerry World and uh, a lighter touch, uh, a, not as deep a dive into the comparison to 2000 now that there's been two season-ending injuries on that Brent Venables is dealing with compared to zero from 2000. That was one of the great stories of that, that miraculous uh, run. Not only did OU win a lot of games they weren't supposed to, but nobody got hurt outside of Heupel's shoulder. He kept playing. It didn't cost them any games, and that never happens. Well, it's happened to this team, and so what, what, it's, what are they going to do about it? Well, and I would say, just uh, not to open the book back up, I think that might be the biggest impediment for the Sooners over the final six weeks here. It might not be anybody they play, but can they stay healthy? Because yep. this is not a team that is built like a Georgia, like an Alabama, where they right. can go deep into the three deep for another five-star. They've, they've got a really talented upper half right now. Some mm-hmm. really promising young guys, but in terms of who they can call on in November, yep. uh, this is that group. We're going to talk a whole lot more about them on the Letterman Jacket. We'll be back next week. UCF week. Jeff Levy, Dylan Gabriel, little reunion. We'll have so much more on the Letterman Jacket then. Come join us next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.